It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero and it's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're listening or watching, hope you're doing okay today. Glad to have you with us. Today's show, she's being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or give my man a call 912-268-2328 912-268-2328 find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get a decent slice of pizza today's show is also being brought to us in part by our app that's right we have a free app available download it right now watch or listen to the show on your phone on your handheld whatever just go to fight that's F-I-T-E by the way go to fight.tv slash Billy C fight.tv slash Billy C. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Sea Palms Resort and our next Billy C. Boxing event, which is taking place August 25th and 26th. Come on down and have some fun with us. We are going to have a meet and greet. Uh, former world champions uh, Mike Weaver and Bobby Chez are scheduled to join us. Also renowned uh, trainer out of Tampa, Sherman Henson. And uh, we will uh, continue uh, giving you uh, an update on uh, some of the other guests that are going to be there. Uh, you get to meet them, eat a little food. Uh, we will uh, have a little friendly golf tournament uh, where you get to play with uh, all of us. Uh, also, we will be uh, trucking on over to Sal so you can finally uh, you know, taste uh, Sal's uh, uh, cuisine over at the restaurant. And then, of course, we uh, culminate to the, uh, the main event, you know, the joke of a fight. We don't want you to spend the money on the fight. We want you to come on down and spend a weekend with us, and we can all laugh about the fight together because we're one big happy family. And, of course, I'm talking about McGregor Mayweather. We'll be showing that fight uh, at the Sea Palms. So uh, check out our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the Sea Palms banner uh, and uh, call them for uh, all the pricing uh, and availability. Also, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Man on the Planet. It's a must-read for all uh, boxing fans, and really for everybody, because it's a, a story of uh, uh, a guy who was born a slave and uh, was forced into fighting, ended up fighting and winning his freedom, and uh, actually should have been uh, considered the first world heavyweight champion, uh, but was robbed. Find out why uh, I'm so adamant about having his story be told 
Uh, he was ripped off during his life. He's still being ripped off today, all because of the color of his skin. Buy a copy of Tom Molino from Bondage to Best Man on Planet. It's available right now where all good books are sold. You can get it on barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. And listen, if you're looking to get a signed copy, don't worry about it. I'll hook you up. Just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the book. Um, we got a bunch of stuff going on with the show today, uh, as usual. And uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about, uh, speaking of uh, McGregor Mayweather, they have uh, <laughs> this really crazy way of getting tickets uh, to, to be there live. We'll talk about that. Um, uh, the uh, uh, super middleweight title clash between uh, David Benavidez and Anthony Durrell, uh, an IBF ordering uh, uh, a elimination fight. Uh, I got some quotes from Tyson Fury. I got a uh, update on Artur Bitterbeev. I want to talk about um, the uh, why I think boxing is, was so much better back in its heyday, and we have some statistics to back it up with. Uh, but today's main topic, you know, it was announced last week that Billy Joe Saunders was defending his little 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 teeny piece of the middleweight uh, world title holder picture. And he's fighting Willie Monroe. And I don't have a problem with Willie Monroe fighting uh, Billy Joe Saunders. As a matter of fact, I think Billy Joe Saunders is uh, in for uh, uh, a real tough fight, if not a loss. But uh, they were talking about having that fight uh, on the same day as Triple G and Canelo. Well, it was announced yesterday that the World Boxing Super Series, something that I can't wait for uh, with the cruiserweights and super middleweights, has announced that their first fight of the WBSS will indeed take place on September 16th, the same day that Triple G uh, and Canelo will be getting it on, as Mills Lane used to say. Um, you know, I, initially, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, this is clearly Richard Schaefer, who's running the WBSS, um, trying to stick it, zing it to, to, to Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy since uh, that's their, uh, uh, you know, the Triple G Golden Boy, uh, Triple G uh, 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 Saul Canelo Alvarez fight is a Golden Boy uh, promotion. And I think it was Richard Schaefer's way of just giving him a little zing. But my honest opinion, my honest opinion, as much as I like and love the whole, th the whole theory behind the WBSS, uh, is uh, I don't think it's going to hurt uh, Canelo Triple G at all. As a matter of fact, I think it's counterproductive for Richard Schaefer to pick that date because I think that if a fan, a true boxing fan, had the choice of, uh, you know, which fight should I watch? Should I watch uh, Saunders against Monroe? Should I watch the first leg of the WBSS? Or should I watch Triple G Canelo, a fight that we've all been clamoring for for quite some time? I don't think uh, it's going to hurt Triple G Canelo at all, and I actually think it's a mistake on Richard Schaefer's part. Joining me right now, and I'm curious to get his thought, uh, is my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, uh, first and foremost, good morning. But do you think that um, good this is going to hurt those guys, that this is going to hurt Triple G or uh, Canelo, uh, having the uh, WBSS and, of course, uh, Billy Joe Saunders and Willie Monroe all fighting on the same day? All I could think of is the scene from The Godfather 2 when Hyman Roth is talking about Clemenza and he says, small potatoes. Ow! 
it's not gonna hurt. No, everyone knows what fight they want to see, and uh, this is the biggest fight that we're gonna see this year, in my opinion. And uh, I'm so excited about this fight. I don't care who else would be fighting. And uh, they could have probably put the uh, Conor, what's his name, Conor McGregor, and uh, Mayweather fight. And uh, I, I think it, it would have put a dent in there. But the boxing purist, the real fight fan, is going to have all eyes or both of their eyes on the Triple G Canelo Alvarez championship bout of the world. You know, I I think you just hit something on the head, whether you meant to or not. I always hit. Uh, yeah, I know. Head. But but uh, so I took boxing. But I but, took but the truth of the matter is, is that the boxing fans, which predominantly will watch, you know, Canelo, Triple G, and the WBS. I mean, most uh, uh, pure boxing fans are are looking forward to that. Uh, as you know, I mean, I, I'm sure uh, Billy Joe Saunders against William Monroe. Uh, you know, fans are going to want to see that too. Yeah, they got their pool of fans. But as far as Conor McGregor against Mayweather, you know, that's going to attract more than just boxing fans. So I agree with you. I think that um, I think that that fight would have hurt Triple G Canelo in a sense um, for the casual water cooler fan that likes to just watch the biggest events, because I think some of those guys are going to be watching uh, Triple G Canelo, but uh, but that would have been the only fight that might have hurt them. And since they were all fighting in the same uh, city of Las Vegas, you know, it was on, they were not able to uh, have it. It made no financial sense to have it on that same day. So I agree with you there. I nobody's gonna uh, listen. All of us, we can't wait to watch uh, Canelo Triple G. I mean, I, you know, I can't. Both of them have officially started their training camps. I f- I feel that they've already been uh, working and training and getting uh, to where they got to be. But they both uh, officially have started their camps. That's a fight I can't wait for, Sal. Absolutely, and, and yes, they they keep their, themselves in shape. They'll go for a run. They'll stretch. They'll they'll hit the gym once in a while just to, just to loosen up and keep the muscles supple and and uh, muscles supple and and loosen and, and things. But, you know, they they now look at a couple weeks before the fight and now they go to camp. They have their outlined uh, plan to uh, make sure they peak around that date so they don't overtrain. And so they've been you know, you try and keep yourself in shape year-round, and you watch what you eat and everything else. And now these stallions are going into the Thoroughbred Stadium to do their final training for the last, uh, for the next, what, eight weeks or whatever it is. What's that, Muscle uh, Supper of Fra Diablo? Is that a new dish that you guys it's have? Mu- absolutely. For you, we're going to do the Fra Diablo. <laughs> I don't eat seafood. I don't eat seafood, but I like Fra Diablo. Hey, I we like had a, spicy we had a seafood au gratin the other night. It was very good. We put a lot of different food, seafood in there, shrimp. Scallops, lobster, uh, clams. I keep going, man. Yeah, it was well, so good. It was over a nice linguine. Yeah, well, see, that's good for people who like seafood. I don't. So I, I'd, I'd be. You'll be serving that. I'll go. I'll have a slice of pizza, please. You know. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think that the, the, I don't know if I hate is such a strong word, but the hatred that uh, Richard Schaefer uh, probably has towards. Uh, uh, Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions, and he's just trying to give him a little zing here. But he I think it's—I th- I th- but I, I, I don't think it's going to hurt him. I think it's going to hurt. I think it's going to hurt Schaefer more. You know, if I'm Richard Schaefer, I want as many people as possible to watch WBSS, and I certainly don't want to compete 
with a fight that most fight fans have been crying for for a couple of years now, you know, and, and really, when you look at it, it's a 50-50 fight. You know, uh, people are going back and forth with who they think is going to win. Uh, it's certainly not a circus BS fight like uh, McGregor Mayweather. You know, uh, it's a real fight. And and you said it's going to be the best fight of the year. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, if it is, then that means it's going to surpass uh, Anthony Joshua Klitschko, which in my opinion so far has been the best fight of the year. You know, so... Uh, really, we've had a couple of good, you know, uh, meaningful fights, substantial fights, uh, significant, if you will. And I just think that uh, that the WBSS and, and Richard Schaefer are making a mistake here. Well, I think uh, they are as well. And, you know, I think they could have worked uh, with uh, several other dates that might have uh, uh, not, we wouldn't be talking about it to this morning. But the bottom line is, you know what, it, it will cover and carry their fans the Saunders fans and 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 they'll 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 look at it and depending on the timing too I mean are, are they going to both go on at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock or 8 o'clock who knows you know maybe one's going to be during the afternoon late afternoon one's going to be at night yeah you the know what is, that, that is the case <laughs> because uh the first fight uh the the uh, WBSS on September 16th uh the first fight will be taking uh, place at the Echo Arena uh in Liverpool so uh, that means uh, technically for at least here for people here in the states and and I don't mean to you know turn it like everybody in the boxing world is is on you know looking at it uh uh from you know the United States point of view but uh the truth of the matter is is you're right uh people here in the states would be able to watch both they could watch the WBSS in the afternoon and then uh, later that evening uh, watch Triple G Canelo I think it's just going to be harder for the uh, the the fans on the other side of the pond to do the same. Well, and I'll tell you why. You're going to have them. You know, I'm sure Triple G's uh, contingency uh, and family and friends. They're probably flying over if they're still over there, and and uh, they're going to be. Uh, I think there's going to be a significant crowd of his supporters from uh, across the pond, and I think that. Uh, here, I mean, he he's he's known enough here to have the uh, the drawing power here of what he does. I mean, he's not a stellar sellout crowd, but I think you know we don't have to worry about uh, um, Canelo Alvarez because Canelo Alvarez is just below the border here, and all his supporters are domestic in the United States or Mexico. So not all of his supporters. He's got worldwide base, but I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's going to hurt, Bill. I don't think it's going to hurt. No, I, I think agree. I think it's going to be almost like a warm up to the warm ups. It's going I, uh, to be a pre-fight. I agree. As a matter of fact, uh, Richard Schaefer may be thinking along those exact lines that he'll pick up. I believe up, he that he'll, probably is. He said, hey, let's get the whole day of boxing. No, that he'll pick up people waiting to watch the Triple G. So, uh, good point. We're exactly. going to take a short break. We'll be back in two. Billy C. We'll be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And 
we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Uh, glad you could be with us. And speaking of being with us, don't forget to be with us on uh, August 25th and 26th. We're going to be on beautiful St. Simon's Island at the Sea Palms Resort for a Billy C Boxing get-together. Uh, visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the Sea Palms banner. And uh, give them a call. Tell them you want uh, the uh, Billy C Boxing Package. And come on down and have some uh, fun in the sun with uh, Sal and I and a bunch of celebrities and other boxing fans. So uh, looking forward to that. And Sal, I think that, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I think that uh, Richard Schaefer uh, might very well be using uh, Triple G Canelo and slash Golden Boy Promotions to help bloister his numbers uh, by having people uh, that are waiting to watch Triple G Canelo and uh, be able to tune into the WBSS. Maybe uh, that was his whole plan all along and not try to compete, but try to steal some of the viewers. I believe that would be the route, and I, I'll tell you why. He can try to, you know, it's, it's like, a, here, here's my analogy. You know, since I've been down south, I've been invited to these Kentucky Derby parties. And, you know, we all dress up in our derby hats and regalia and bow ties like some referees try to do in between rounds and take too long to tie. Um, and uh, and uh, we go and we drink mint juleps and we have food and we're waiting for this one event to take place at about six o'clock and we're doing it all day. Well, this is the warm up, you know, come together. Let's have a little event, a party all day, you know, and, and you know, let's let's not get this wrong i mean people are going to plan their day if they're a fight fan you're going to say hey well we got the triple g canelo alvarez the world championship fight tonight we're going to plan our day and we're going to we don't we know where we're going to be at that fight time hey well there's another fight this afternoon so let's let's get together a little earlier and let's uh let's enjoy a whole day of boxing or hold this and that and plan our day around that so he'll pick up some fans there and uh They'll have their little uh, uh, time and party and afternoon and food. and So I, I think it's a pretty neat way to parlay one, one fight card uh, to another. So I think he's, he's looking to do just that parlay. You know, I, I want to give my man Marlon Starlin a, a, a shout-out. He's uh, in, uh, in the uh, Facebook chat or Facebook room right now, my man Marlon. We want Marlon to come on down. With Marlon, us, man. come on down. We I want was a Marlon. Marlon Starling. Marlon Starling is a class act. Should be uh, an international boxing hall of famer. We talk about him on the show a lot, and uh, my man is uh, watching the show on Facebook Live, and uh, would love to have Marlon come on down. Uh, Marlon, give me a call. But uh, listen, you know uh, the truth of the matter is, Sal. I got to know a question. You uh, now for the second day in a row. You've referred to a mint julep. What the hell a is a mint julep, julep man? Would you what 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 is it? A mint julep. It's a mint julep is a uh, bourbon based uh, uh, drink made with mint and bourbon, and you know the Kentucky bourbon, henceforth the Kentucky Derby, the best bourbon in the world is made out of the clean water running on the limestone and brick uh, rocks of of Kentucky. I'm gonna bastardize this whole damn thing. I have no clue, but 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 uh, it is made. It's 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 a whole process of making a drink, and it's served with a leaf mint, and um, it's uh it, it's a bourbon. It's nice. It's sweet. It's uh it's in a chilled glass, and um, uh, I haven't had one in about a year and a half. But uh, uh, that's the that's 
basically the the gist of it. I, I, like I said, I'm going to bastardize the recipe. So anybody else that wants to write in the chat room what they know about a mint julep, go right ahead. Well, but, uh, it, it is. It's, it's a neat thing. It sounds like you have a couple of those in your. Uh, your Forget dance. about it. You don't yeah. care what horse wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's when you say. What the horses are running? The horses are running. What? You, are have, running? Wow. There's, there's, hey, uh, you know. But uh, anyway, uh, it was announced. It was announced yesterday that uh, um, for the joke of a fight, uh, McGregor Mayweather, that uh, fans that want to go and watch the fight live. Which uh, you know might not be uh, might be the best scenario, I guess. I mean, to feel some of the energy from the other uh, non-boxing fans that are going to be there. But uh, um, you got to register. You got to pre-register basically to get on a list to give you the opportunity to buy tickets. You know, I, I don't understand why they're making it so difficult. I I mean, I get it that they're trying to make the maximum money and eliminate, you know, ticket scalpers and, and uh, secondhand ticket uh, sales uh, type uh, organizations to, to, you know, get in their hands on the, on the tickets. But, I mean, I don't know. It sounds pretty complicated. I, you know, maybe they're just, you know, hoping more people just buy it. What do you think on that? Bill, I'll tell you what. I learned in sales 101, especially my years of selling life insurance with uh, Northwestern Mutual Life, Sun Life of Canada, and uh, Guardian. And, you know, let me tell you, New York Life, those are my major companies that I represent. I love them. And I learned and went through their training management programs. And one thing we always learned in sales was people will always go along the path of least resistance. That means if you want to get to point A to B, just walk that line. Don't uh, get bothered by the secondary, tertiary, and, uh, and everything else coming at you. So the bottom line is, uh, you know what? If I want to go see a fight, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to wait in line, buy a ticket, and go. I don't have to want to go online, buy this, get this reserved, everything else. Because, you know, things change and happen. So, again, go along the path of least resistance. You're well, going to make it more difficult by trying to make it simpler. Here's here's how they do it. My and opinion. Here's, in my here's, opinion. How, here's how it works. And, and they're... They're trying to eliminate ticket scalpers. Uh, yeah. uh, so a fan has to uh, go and request an offer code and a link in order to buy tickets. So you got to buy them online. Uh, so in order to receive the code, uh, you got to be verified through a registration process. Once you go through that, it still doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a code, nor does it guarantee that you're even going to be in a position to buy tickets <laughs> Uh, but you do have to register anyway, and only you're only going to be allowed to buy two tickets at a time. Uh, I'm I, going I, I don't know. Ticket I, scalper. They're, they're really they're really uh, banking on uh, this being a, a, a crazy. Thing. I I don't know. Uh, listen, most conversations I have with people think it's a joke. Now yeah, whether they're going to buy it, whether they're going to buy person. it or go to it or not, I don't know. But most people I talk to on both sides, and I will admit that most of the UFC and MMA fans are the ones that, you know, think that McGregor's got a chance. But most people think it's a joke. I, you know, only time will tell if the numbers do well. I, you know, I really don't know, Sal, to be honest with you. I don't know. Well, you said, you said it earlier, Bill, and you hit it on the head. This is an, an event, an extravaganza. This is going to be... What's going to get the water cooler fan uh, 
the observ- observation, uh, the, the casual fan, the non-boxing fan, uh, MMA fan. This is going to be appealing to uh, more of the masses, and so they're hoping to hook in the generic fan that just wants to look at a big sporting event like a Super Bowl or something else that, you know, not everybody watches the whole full season of, of football or baseball until the World Series comes on or until the Super Bowl comes on. Well, this is the Super Bowl or World Series supposedly of boxing no, and it's MMA. No, it's not. No, it's when not. When two worlds collide. No, it's not. It, no, no, it, no, 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 no. No, it's not. But this is what they're trying to create and stimulate the arena and the air of it being that significant. And it's not. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's what they're trying to do. I don't know. They're, they're bamboozling the people that are going to buy. They're bamboozling. That, that's like all they're doing. What they're doing with that is they're bamboozling uh, the fans. And uh, it, it bothers me to, to even think that. It bothers me to think. So it bothers me. You know, I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. You know, but uh, uh, you know, I, the thing is, is, it bothers me that uh, the fans that are that are actually buying this um, with the false impression that it's going to be a fight, that it's going to be something. I, it's sad. Uh, you know well, what? It's, it's sad. It's sad. It, it's sad, but it's an event, and you know what? Uh, come on. I, as much as I'm opposed to it, as much as I'm I'm not even interested, I haven't seen one word of one press conference because I couldn't care because I know it's all just rhetoric, rhetoric and bully bull, and uh, bully bull. Anyway, uh, I'm interested in seeing the outcome because in my mind I'm already having an impression, and like I said, I I could see if there was gonna be any. Uh, upset or any surprises it's going to happen in the first second or third round but in my mind I don't think it's going to go past eight and I think uh, we're going to see Mayweather pick up another knockout but the bottom line is you never know what's going to happen that first round second round Uh, if the McGregor is going to come out he's going to be relentless he's going to wade through punches he's going to trap Floyd in the corner just bang away on the arms uh, and everything else Uh, I have no idea but the bottom line is he's going to want to try and get in that position. I'm sure Mayweather's fully aware of it. Uh, it's going to be a one-dimensional uh, viewpoint from Mayweather's side, looking at what he's going to have coming at him. It's no, it's no rocket science. He's going to have a, a, a tractor trailer coming at him full speed and uh, and trying to uh, derail him. But Mayweather's a smart man. He's a cerebral fighter, and he's going to be able to be ready and be able. Yeah, listen, uh, we all know what's going to happen. Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, for his first pro fight, uh, can't possibly think he's going to outbox Floyd. So his only oh, no, chance. No, no, no. I, I, I know, but he, you know, some of the comments that they made. But he's going to definitely, you know, charge Mayweather. Mayweather's ready for this, and uh, you're going to see Mayweather get uh, the first knockout in a very long time. Uh, and it's not going to be because he's got any punching power, because he doesn't. It's going to be because Conor McGregor's own fatigue is going to help Floyd knock him out. But anyway, I think that uh, it's just a shame that uh, Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor are, uh, are are really screwing their own fans. I, it's just it's it's mind-boggling. Anyway, real quick, uh, Anthony Durrell and David Benavidez uh, will be uh, fighting for uh, Durrell's WBC title. Uh, will be uh, uh, happening, um, they, they're saying, uh, in uh, September 9th, 
so we will uh, uh, see what happens there. That's a tentative date. Uh, we know that uh, that the fight's going to happen. It's looking like uh, it's going to happen on uh, September 9th. Uh, there is also uh, uh, a, uh, a possibility um, that uh, uh, it could be on the 16th as well. So uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And one last thing before I take a break here, even though I'm over, the IBF has ordered an elimination fight in the junior lightweight division between uh, Tevin Farmer and Francisco Fonsara, uh, both uh, fighters uh, vying to get a shot uh, at uh, Javonta Davis. Um, this is where sometimes we don't get the best fighting the best because I'm not sure, so sure that those two are the best. But you know what? This is the end result when you have so many sanctioning bodies that only rank the guys that they care about and it, it just dilutes it dilutes. It dilutes. It dilutes. There's a dilutes Georgia or There's, Duluth. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dilutes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, I got to take a break. I'm over my time. I'll be back you in are. two. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening. To the Billy C Show. Glad you could join us. Don't forget, if you're watching uh, on one of the feeds, if you want to get the, the same feed that goes up to the television networks, uh, visit our website, BillyCBoxing.com, or just go to our YouTube page, uh, YouTube.com slash TalkinBoxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. You'll get the uh, full version of the video. Some of the other streams, including the Facebook live stream, is just one camera shot, and it's a cheesy camera at that. So uh, if you're looking to get the high def and all that other stuff, go to uh, uh, our YouTube channel. And uh, speaking of uh, Facebook Live, I'm in there chatting with my man, Marlon Starling. And uh, we got to have Marlon come on the show again, Sal, because uh, he's a great guy. I mean, Marlon Starling has to be one of the most, and I know I'm off topic, uh, but Marlon Starling has to be one of the most underrated all-time great fighters in the history of the sport, you know, and, and it pisses me off because this was a guy. And, and listen, Marlon will be the first to tell you, if you look at his record, there's only one of his, I think he's got six losses on his record, five or six. And of all of those losses, he only lost one fight, Sal. He he will admit that he lost one fight. He's done it. We, we've talked about it. He's, he's done speeches for us. He's uh, actually a Billy C. Boxing Hall of Famer. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I mean, all the other fights he was robbed. And for this guy to still be as happy as he is, you know, with the sport. I mean, if, if I were him, you know, he's a better man than I because I would have been turned off by the sport the way the sport treated me. And uh, Marlon Starling is one of these guys that these young fans got to recognize. You know, people talk about defensive fighters. This guy, this guy was a great defensive fighter, but he also had pop. I, I don't know, man. He's a, he, he's a guy that... Uh, I, I just don't think gets the recognition he deserves, Sal. Well, I remember he was he was a tremendous fighter, <clears throat> and uh, I used to watch him, and I thought he was doing things in the ring that uh, 
that I loved. I admired in uh, defensive skill, and he, like you said, he had some good pop. He had, uh, you could see, he had the innate ability to to know where he was in the ring. His generalship was great, and uh, he was an exciting fighter. Stayed in the pocket, and uh, I, I liked him very much. Hey, you know something, Sal? Today, today's a, a popular day on Facebook because uh, who, Ron Lipton just entered. And here, what Ron Lipton just entered the uh, face room uh, All discussion. Right. I'm going to try now, that now, Facebook now, Ron, feed. Ron, Ron Lipton, uh, actually, uh, when we had our gym, he was our uh, main trainer, but he's more known for uh, uh, his, uh, his refereeing abilities. And Ron got to referee the main event the other night, uh, the Omar Figueroa and uh, Robert Gos Guerrero fight um, in New York. And, you know, we were talking about that earlier in the week. And, you know, the topic of of the refereeing jobs across the board (laughs) last weekend uh, was pretty bad, uh, with the exception of Ron. You know, Ron, you know, here's the thing. What Ron did in that fight was what you would expect referees to do. He knew that Robert Gos Guerrero is a world-class, you know, world multi-division world champion. And he gave Robert DeGhost Guerrero as much opportunity that was available without putting Robert DeGhost Guerrero in danger. And uh, I, I agree. I, you know, I, I know I that agree. we say, I know we say a lot, Sal, that it's better to stop a fight too soon uh, than too late, which I do agree with. But on the other hand, yeah. You know, there's a certain fine line that only the good referees can can walk uh, trying to determine, do I stop this fight now? Do I let this guy continue? It's true. And I felt that uh, Ron did a good job the other day. What do you think? Well, I think he did, too. He He's a professional. And, uh, you know, that is solely a, a, a real lonely call because, you know, you're going to have both sides throwing uh, throwing tomatoes at you in some way, shape or form. And you know, like the other night, I thought they they stopped that fight prematurely with the with the cut on the uh, on the guy's cheek, whatever it was under his eye. Castellanos, it, it sure the, yeah, the Castellanos, uh, Jezreel Castellanos, yeah. yeah. And I, I I thought, you know, I looked at it. I mean, I I've had I've had cuts. I mean, I begged the doctors not to stop the fight. This one took 38 stitches. It was across the eye. I couldn't see nothing. But I, Don Turner was in my corner. Don put put some stuff in there and made sure that adrenaline patched it up and. Man, but I'll tell you what, uh, <laughs> I thought that cut up below the eye was not jeopardizing his well-being or his vision and his sight, and I think that uh, they may have stopped it a little early, uh, my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I got some emails. Let's uh, get some emails Let's out of the way. Let's do it, but uh, yeah. This one's from Jesse. He says, uh, hey, Billy C. and Sal, I read that Anvil Yildrum is going to be one of Canelo's sparring partners. Does Anvil fit Triple G's style? Um, I don't think so. I mean, he's an aggressive fighter, but I, I don't think he's got the skill set. I mean, um, I I don't know. If I'm uh, – well, I guess he is He is a bigger fighter, but uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I You know, it's going to be hard to, to get someone to you – know, when, when you're fighting at this level, I think it's hard to really get somebody to, you know, truly emulate – your opponent. I think you can get sparring partners to do similar things, but at the end of the day, until you get in the ring the day of the fight, I mean, uh, you know, you're going to have to be prepared to do some things on the fly. I would think, and you know more than I do, Sal, but I would think that uh, to prepare for a fight, you want to try to 
arm yourself with uh, as much ammunition to be able to, um, you know, fire those guns based on what you're getting from your opponent. You know, so the research on your opponent, you know, the the you know what they do and and what their tendencies are and stuff. That's about the limit that you can uh, prepare for uh, and then be ready when you see it. I mean, can you answer that question better than me? No, I think you're, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I was Aaron Pryor's sole sparring partner, and we sparred hundreds of rounds, getting him ready for his last successful title defense when he beat Gary Hinton in the Sands Casino. Uh, and I got cut uh, a couple of days before that fight. I was supposed to be on the undercard, but that was – that was a, a, a we sparred for maybe eight weeks, six weeks, and um, hundreds of rounds, and and uh, we were sparring six, seven, eight rounds a day. Sometimes, uh, even one time we did ten. But the bottom line is, I didn't have the style like Gary Hinton. A couple of times I tried to box and move and everything else, but Aaron was just getting ready, and Aaron was a warrior. So even though uh, I, I tried to emulate Gary Hinton where I could, I'm not as large tall and and uh and uh you know i did try to box a little bit but uh, you know i was just trading and punching and uh doing what i had to do staying in the pockets so aaron was getting his reflex and his timing and seeing and and doing all what he needs to do so he was virtually he was ready and he went in a ring and like a heart of a lion he uh he beat gary hinton that night and um retained his championship so a fighter will prepare in the ring yes you do try to get somebody that can emulate uh a style of your opponent uh but all in all you're going to have multiple sparring partners and give you a round off re, re, uh uh view of what you're going to uh be facing in in the ring and you know but it's going to be your reflexes it's going to be your counter punch it's going to be your boxing ability it's going to be all in all coming together and uh so it it, it might have some merit to get somebody that emulates the the, the, the opponent. But, uh, again, you, you don't know what he's training for either. So, uh, Jesse goes on to say, uh, hey, Billy, Miguel Flores is lost to Avelos. Does it put him to being just a challenger uh, more than a contender? Um, you know, I, I think that you know, it's an interesting question because I think that that's one of the problems that we have today uh, with the sport of boxing, especially when a fighter loses a fight. Um, you know, just because you lost a fight doesn't really end your career, you know. And I, I think that the, uh, the fact that fighters today are so overprotected, and I say this all the time, you know, and we were talking about this yesterday about Deontay Wilder. You know, a lot of times it's not the fighter's fault. It's the management, the, the promoter. Who, who hinders the fighter from fighting tougher fights because they're trying to protect their O, which equates to value in today's sport, which I, I don't agree with. And, in the end, uh, you know, they may be making their smokescreen value go up, but their boxing value, their ability to fight at a higher level is, is restricted. And I think that that was a case with, uh, with Flores. Do it, does it ch change him from a, 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 a you know contender to a to just a, a, an opponent? No, no. I I think that uh, you know he might uh, listen. All fighters that lose, especially when they step up, if they use that as a learning tool, gain something from the loss, 
you know, make that loss work for them in a positive way for their next fight, it can only help if they mentally can't handle the loss. And that's that's some of the problem we have today, our young people. You know, we're so fragile mentally. You know, we say this all the time, Sal, you know, participation trophies for every kid on the team. You know, well, we don't keep score. You know I mean? Come on. You know, we're creating a weak mental attitude. And, and then now, you know, you fast forward into a sport like boxing and a fighter loses for the first time and he's mentally crushed. You can't have that. You know, these guys no. got to use these losses as, as a, you know, incentive, as, as, as a motivational tool. I, I, my answer would be no. I, I think that, you know, until he, his uh, skills diminish or until he's exposed to, uh, to a point where he has no skill or, or he just can't compete at that upper level, I think I still think he's a contender. What do you think? Yeah, I think 100%. You're right. And, uh, you know, you're right, though. I mean, we're creating a bunch of mental midgets here. You know, they can't take adversity or, or they're going to be, you know, it's the fight or flight syndrome, you know. Hey, you got to bite the bullet, bite down and, and, and go forward and balls forward and learn and, and, and come back. And that's what a good fighter does. He takes that O and he learns why did I lose this fight this time? And um, and uh, so you you capitalize on the mistakes you made or or a superior style that that was uh, uh, giving you trouble with your style, and you look how to counter it, and you go to school, and that's how fighters come 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 into their own and evolve, and and are all uh, all around uh, uh, good fighters. Um, the last point Jesse makes in his email is he says, "Hey Billy, I read an article that Wilfredo Benitez." is homeless and he's in major need of help. I can't believe boxers like Floyd Mayweather and Canelo Alvarez and other uh, fighters who are successful don't help legends like Benitez. I mean, if they're willing to spend money on gold chains and million-dollar cars, million cars, they can afford to help fighters like Benitez. Um, you would hope that they would. You know, I, here, here's the thing, you know, uh, and this is the sad truth, and it's not just boxing. It took place in all sports, football, uh, baseball, of course, and, and even in some of the other performing arts like musicians and stuff like that. Years ago, these guys and gals, uh, you know, they performed and, and had their large fan bases. Uh, but uh, like for the musicians case, you know, a lot of these like Chuck Berry, you know, uh, instrumental in many, many, uh, you know, bands after him. He didn't make the money he should have. You know, he was uh, bamboozled by the record companies, etc. Well, sports are no different. A lot of, especially boxing, a lot of these fighters from years gone past, you know, would fight their whole careers. They would have money while they're active. And as soon as they were done, poof, the money was gone. And uh, they had nothing set up. And for years we blame, oh, well, the fighters didn't know. They were, you know, they were robbed. They were this and that. Well, those guys, those fighters that were taken advantage of, that didn't benefit from the fruits of the of the business during their careers are the reason why guys like Floyd Mayweather and Canelo Alvarez and Triple G and AJ and Klitschko, et cetera, et cetera, all these uh, modern fighters that are successful, that do know what to do with the money, the reason why they do know, and Lennox Lewis, Lennox Lewis is another great example, um, is because they saw what happened to these guys. And they saw what mistakes not to make. 
You know, it's the same thing, you know, uh, as humans were developing, you know, somebody ate the poison berry and then everyone said, hey, by the way, uh, Fred ate that poison berry. Don't eat those red ones. You know, the black ones are okay. The red ones are no good. You know, uh, we learn from our mistakes, you know, and uh, as much as I would agree with Jesse uh, on uh, on this case where, you know, athletes of today should try to help. Uh, some of the uh, athletes of, of yesteryear that struggle. Because without those struggles, without those athletes' struggles and them learning the hard way and uh, ending up not being able to benefit later in life is the reason why the success rate is higher today. So my answer is yes. I do believe that uh, these guys should help. You know, a guy is, uh, you know, guys that are making as much money. I mean, the money that some of these guys are making, they could never spend. Now, Floyd Mayweather, you know, I, listen, I still think he's going to end up broke. Uh, you know, he's showing that he doesn't, uh, you know, maybe he makes some smart investments, but he does waste some money. You know, luckily for him, he doesn't have a drug or alcohol problem. Uh, but, uh, but who knows? But my answer is yes. I do think that. Uh, they should uh, help out some of these fighters, and and not just the the real known ones, the guys that that were the opponents. They're the ones that suffer a, a lot more in a way because nobody knows of them. You know, there's many guys that that have ended up uh, on Skid Row uh, from boxing and football and baseball, etc., and uh, they get no help from anyone. So my answer would be yes. What's your thoughts on that, Sal? You know, Bill, I'll tell you, it's uh, it is amazing because you know you look at a warrior, and uh, I I loved Wilfredo Benitez. I mean, I think today he's still the youngest. He was 17 years of age when he first won the world welterweight championship. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and he he was just grace in motion. It was great to watch this young man fight and develop and and the wars that he entered in and. Uh, to know that, I, I think the last article that I read on about him was that he is uh, uh, suffering greatly. I mean, he's in bad, bad health. I don't know if he's still confined or uh, to a wheelchair, but I think he's living in his old house he grew up in um, with his sister and uh, in Puerto Rico. And, you know, it, it is very, very sad. And who, who knows what kind of medical attention he, he requires or needs. And, you know, to have some of these multi multi-million dollar purses uh again and don't don't get get me wrong with this i mean a lot of people when they see floyd may floyd mayweather is going to get 100 million or this one got 50 million or 40 million billy you know that it all gets divvied up and you know you know it's usually 10 percent off to the trainer 33 and the third to the manager we got to pay for training camps we got to pay for this yes you still get a, a good portion besides uh, uncle sam you're going to pay a 40 50 percent taxes so even if you, you're, you're dwindling down 50 million you're going to have a couple million dollars left over it's not going to be 50 million but guess what you give me five million i'll make a living but <laughs> the bottom line is this Yes, and they should be setting themselves up for the future with investments, with uh, uh, long-term care insurance policies, this and that. I'm going to start plugging insurance in one minute. But uh, the bottom line is what they should also maybe think about doing is helping out some of these legends that they learn from, as you said, and that's exactly what happened. They learn from these guys that have given their careers, their lives, and their future, and their state of where they are now to to be the model of what you do not want to happen in your career. So, 
I think it would be a neat unique thing to be able to give back to to some of those needy fighters that are uh, uh, beyond the years of helping themselves and uh, but how do you do that because then you're gonna have then you're gonna have people set up a foundation a fund then there's gonna be people put in their pocket and all this stuff right it's just never as good as it is unless you you say hey I'm personally gonna take care of his hospital bill what does he need I'm gonna personally take care of that that's how you got to do it no I, I wouldn't trust I, you, you're who, right because then you got you're right. That's the yeah, I mean, truth. That's you got, the whole you got, slime bag bucket of what happened. I know you, know? you got. You I got, have my like heart of hearts. I won the two hundred million dollar lottery last night. Hey, you know what? I'm going to take care of Wilfredo Benitez. I'm going to give him five million dollars. Well, we got to put in trust. We got this. Well, you know, someone's going to pocket a hundred thousand here. Someone's going to pocket a million here, and Wilfredo Benitez is going to get a a hundred thousand dollars. So, so it. it it's <laughs> right. No, you're right. Yeah, listen, listen. You know, you're you're a hundred percent right. And in Benitez's case, uh, you know, I think his, his sister became ill, who was actually caring for him. Yeah. So maybe that's why it's even gotten worse for him. Yeah. I didn't hear it. But, uh, but you know, I, I had come up with this idea. Um, you know, I, was, I, I had put all of these things several years ago. I had all these things. And it was very frustrating to, to have everyone pat me on the back and say, oh, what a great idea. But. You know, it's like, I don't want to make an excuse, but I, I don't want to make an excuse, but, you know, and, and one of the ideas I had was pretty simple. You know, if, if you took each commission and like Larry Hazard always says, you know, the ABC makes it seem like, you know, they, they help govern all the commissions and they really don't do anything. But, uh, you know, here is a case where you could take something like the ABC and, you know, you get the commissions all because in the United States, each state has the right to have their own commission and their own rules, etc. But if each commission, you know, um, put a, uh, a tax, some type of a tax, whether it be a dollar of every ticket sold under a promotion and was put in, into an account uh, to help fighters or whatever, it, you would end up with a lot of money. But just like you said, then all of a sudden... Well, we got to have a guy that's going to police that, so he gets a paycheck out of that money. You know, yeah. uh, then we got then then we got to say, well, who's going to get it? Well, we got to get a guy uh, that's going to look at all the individual fighters and their An order uh, and, and, and right, of their situation, and then and then that guy's going to get paid off to give the funds to one fighter versus another fighter, and it gets so complicated that it's like, you know, what do you do? But all in the meantime, who's suffering? The fighter. the fighter. The fighter. The same guy that needs the help. The same guy that needs the help is suffering. Yo, Everybody's so, uh, taking care of themselves first before they do it while they're building the model. I mean, Bill, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're right. Okay. You're you right. Know, you know, I, you know it, it's crazy. I remember when I was fighting in the 80s, there was talk. There was talk of taking a fighter's purse and taking a percentage for uh, a fighter's foundation for later on in life or a pension or something else. There was talk and rumor and, and – and basically, a lot of fighters said, hey, you're not going to touch my purse. <laughs> you know, that's already divvied up. And, uh, you know, so it's, again, it's, it's short-sightedness on one side, and it's not seeing the big picture on the other. And, um, you know, it's hard to say. Now, maybe with these guys that make over $10 million a fight, I think you hit it on the head. Maybe it's part of the promoter's responsibility to uh, allocate a certain percentage of funds that come from the revenue of sales to raise the money to pay pay everybody out. Maybe they should do a little component, whether it's a, 
a little 10% or something no, from that, the it, revenue. Yeah, but if the, if the commission's just – listen, each commission, at the end of the night, okay, when you, when you promote a fight, at the end of the night, generally the commission is there uh, and they, they, you, you write a check. I mean, I, I was a promoter for many, many years, and I would have to write a, a, a tax check right at the end of the night. You know, uh, right. you owe this much. You sold this many tickets. This is That's the tax, right. and they tax submit, year. and they submit it to you know the state because you know like like for example, I live in New York, but I promoted fights in in other states, you know, Carolinas, Arkansas, Maine, you know, and and I had to pay those taxes, uh, but I pay them at the end of the night when you sit in the room and you're right now check so much your hand falls off, you know, but uh uh you know why not know impose a why not impose a a dollar per ticket tax. That, you know, uh, yeah, the promoters are going to cry uh, because it's a dollar coming out of, of their bottom line. But, you know, but then it, it, it becomes the whole policing nightmare, like we suggest. And here's yes. the other thing. Then, like the WBC, they started um, a, 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 a fund uh, for fighters that needed it. But it, it was like they broadcast that they were doing it. And then it turned out that really they weren't putting any of their money in. They were just offering a vehicle to collect money. They were selling, uh, they had dinners and fundraisers, and it kind of fizzled out. But my hang-up with that was that they were only focused on their champions. And champions, by the way. So in other words, if you didn't become a WBC, and, and this is just, a, I'm not you know bashing the WBC, especially no. since uh, Mauricio, Mauricio Suleiman is my man. we got to have him back on the show. Uh, pretty cool guy. But uh, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, they tried, but they were proprietary to just the WBC champions that needed help. And my argument is that, you know, generally a champion is the guy who made the most money. Whether they have it today or not is a whole nother story. And the reasons why, you know, you, you, they, they vary. But the guys that they had to beat to become a champion or get the opportunity are the ones that generally are in the most need, Sal. Well, it's true. It's true. And like uh, like, uh, like Chickie Ferrari used to tell me, hey, you got to watch out for the best of the bad. That's who you need to have because everyone's bad. And like I said, not everyone's bad. But, I mean, you know, you have the intent and you might have the best, uh, best at heart in mind. But like I said, it's going to trickle down. What's going to be the end result? Who's going to get this and that? Where are they going to get the revenue to do all this? It's it's just uh, it's just uh, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. And uh, uh, I wish there was something they could really come up with, some kind of model that uh, could benefit the fighters who are in need for it. And, well, uh, well, the, a simple a simple solution, really. I, I mean. You know, is and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but the league that I put into place that focuses on, um, you know, the the uh, keeping the four major sanctioning bodies intact would resolve that because once you become part of a league, well, then the league becomes responsible for certain things, and retirement plans would be one of them. You know, once you reach a certain plateau of professional fights or rounds or however it gets defined then uh, you as a professional fighter start earning, uh, you know, retirement funds. And, you know, you have the ability to invest that money or, or put it away or save it or just get it. I, I don't know. I, you know, but, uh, but that's the only way to police it. Other, otherwise, 
Everybody said, well, they, you know, hey, they were ranked in our sanctioning body today, but they took a fight with another guy, so he's not ranked anymore. So now, you know, he's not our fighter, you know, and that's what happens. But uh, anyway, I got one more email. We're going to read it as soon as I get back from uh, the next break. We'll be back in two. Billy Z will be right back. Part of the Billy Z Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? back you're watching and listening to the billy c show glad you could join us and speaking of join us don't forget to come on down to saint simon's island on august 25th and 26th for our next billy c boxing event uh we are going to have uh, a great time and uh i uh, i'm going to be on the phone after the show today sal and i'm going to uh hopefully uh get marlon hopefully marlon starling is going to be available to come on down but uh uh, I, I got Sherman Henson in the in the chat room now, well, in the Facebook uh, chat room, and he's going to be coming down. And uh, have you been preparing? Are you? I'm uh, training. Uh, are you I want training? Because because Sher- Sherman's going to Sherman's going to. Uh, I'm going to be ready. He's going to he's going to do a demonstration, and uh, you're going to be his uh, you're going to be his puppet. I mean, uh, pupil. You know, so uh, I, I sure will be. I'll be ready. I got my I got my fists of flying. I got my defensive skills. I'm working on. I'm shadow boxing. I'm running. I'm getting back in shape, Bill. We're going to make making a comeback soon. Good. Well, we don't know about that. We, we'll just we're, we're going to have uh, Sal doing a a demo with Sherman Henson. Uh, showing some uh, training and punching techniques. So uh, we're going to have a good time. So visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on the uh, C-Palms uh, banner. Give them a call and tell them you want the information on the Billy C. Boxing event. I got one more email here. Uh, this one's from uh, our Scottish listener, one of our Scottish listeners, uh, Lane. And he says, hey, Billy C., I've just watched Chris Eubank's son and Nigel Ben's son win a couple of fights over the last few weekends. Eubank Jr. is a lot further ahead than Ben Jr. Anyway, my question is what father-son combo is the best in boxing? I'm loving the shows. Thanks. Your Scottish listener, uh, Lane. Um, uh, you know, that's a tough question. You know, there were a lot of, uh, you know, are you asking me what I thought is the all-time father-son combo? I mean, uh, you know, there's some fathers. I mean, Danny Garcia and his father. Uh, Angel Garcia. I mean, uh, you know, currently didn't uh, Sean didn't Sean O'Grady have his father in his corner? No, but we're, uh, see, that's what I don't know what the question is. So are we talking about <laughs> right, all time, all time, yeah, yeah, all time or or current? I mean, right now, I, I would have to say uh, the most success. And and the other thing is father son, meaning trainer fighter, because uh, you know Danny Garcia and his father have to be the most accomplished. Uh, Robert DeCos Guerrero and his father were pretty accomplished uh, as well. Um, but but the guy that always sticks out for me as far as being a successful trainer with your son. And, and again, Angel Garcia and Danny Garcia have, uh, have a pretty good relationship. But the guy, well, I guess we got to say Floyd and Floyd Sr., even though they've had a rocky uh, relationship over the years. But... Um, you know they're they're uh, they're pretty successful, right? Um, but uh, the guy that always sticks out in my mind for some reason 
and again, I guess Floyd and Floyd Jr. Uh, would have to, you know, be uh, be one of those uh, father son combos that you got to put near the top uh, based on success. But the guy, and they weren't that successful together. But the guy that I always thought that understood the difference between training a fighter and training your son as a fighter was Buddy McGirt. Um, I thought that Buddy McGirt handled it well, and and I always thought, and what about Sean Porter? Sean Porter and his father. Um, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them, Sal. Any thoughts? No, you know, and I, I, I often think back if my son Nicholas is going to be uh, be serious about this. I'd like to, you know, definitely show him. And he, he seems to be serious, and I'm, I'm trying to train him a little bit right now. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think that uh, there's been some good combinations of father-sons, and, you know, you, you've got to be able to um, identify and see which ones are really, really doing a good job and, and you know, of course, they're going to want to protect their own flesh and blood to to uh, a large degree. But then there's some some that say, "Hey, you know, I know my son; he can continue and do things." And so I, I think it's a good balance, and I think it's a good vested interest in in seeing some. But I, I I don't know really of too many. Like I said, I go way back, and I thought Sean O'Grady had his father training him or in his corner for a while, and and there were a couple of other relationships that uh, that I think worked out fairly well for a while. Well, but you know, for some reason, I, I remember a lot of times there were breakups, too. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is you, you just touched on something that's the problem with father son uh, trainer fighter relationships. And a lot of times and, and only the guys that really the, these the, the, the three that we're talking about right now that are active, that are that are very successful, you know, Floyd and Floyd Jr., uh, you know, uh, Danny Garcia and Angel Garcia and Sean Porter and his father, you know, um, they're pretty successful. I mean, they got the pedigrees, you know, especially Floyd yes, and Floyd. Sure. You know, yes. but the problem with that is what you just hit on. Sometimes when you're training your son or daughter, for that matter, um, you know, one of two things happen. Either you're overprotective or under protective you know and that's where some of these relationships in the past haven't worked um floyd and floyd senior you know they've overcame uh, some uh, personality conflicts um you know we still you see that's the big question mark with floyd jr we don't really know how he would have acted or you know uh, reacted in, in in a situation where you know, he was beaten up badly. Maybe he gets dropped. Maybe he barely makes the count. Maybe he's got a severe cut. I mean, the guy hasn't had to go through that. He says he'll never quit. He's got the heart. He's got this and that. But he's never had to prove it. We have to go by his word because he's never been in that situation. So that's a good thing, too, never being in that situation. That's a good thing, sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, so, you know, we got to give him the benefit of the doubt. But some of these other uh, father-son uh, trainers, you know, when they go through uh, that situation, you know, how do they react? Are they stopping a fight because they're watching their own kid get beat up? Or are they pushing the kid too much because they're trying to live through the kid? I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to be successful at that, Sal. No, and you hit it both right on the head because it's both sides of the spectrum. And, uh, you know, I... You know, if if I look at all that I went through and and the exchanges and the blows and everything else that that I did, 
I would never want my son to do the same. And uh, uh, but that's just it. I feel, you know, I feel I'm lucky to be alive. I mean, some of the things I've done in my life, like any like anybody cutting through the forest. I mean, I I was a daredevil. I was a I was off the cuff. I did things that I'm I'm lucky to be alive. And to think that my son could do things like that and and uh, uh, walk away from them, I'm saying, you know what? Uh, I, I I hope he doesn't hear stories of what I used to do when I thought I was evil can evil on a motorcycle and things like that. But you know, it's crazy. So so I think a father in a ring in a corner is going to have one of those two sides. Uh, either saying their son could take that endurance and, and pressure and, and he's not getting hit too much or heart hurt, I should say, not getting hurt too much. He can come out of it. He's going to go through it. Um, or the one that's going to say, hey, you know what? He, he's had enough. Let's pull him out. So, yeah. Coach, you know, it, it's, Co- it's hard. Coach in the chat room just brought up another good one that, uh, you know, I, I should have mentioned, Vasily Lomachenko and his father. You yeah. know, and uh, – um, you know that was uh, that was good. You know, and uh, Floyd uh, Patterson and Tracy Patterson, uh, uh, yes, according yes, to uh, according to Coach, which I, you know I'm going to believe him because he's pretty good with the facts. He says they were the first father son uh, to win uh, um, to win uh, a world title together. So uh, anyway, uh, interesting stuff. That's a tough question, but thanks for the emails. Don't forget if you take the time to drop me an email, we'll take the time to read it. If you got a question, comment, concern. Uh, just drop me an email, Billy at Talking Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. You know, uh, a guy named Mike Silver wrote a book uh, several years ago called uh, "The Rise, The Arc." Uh, what was it called? Uh, uh, the Arc of Boxing: The Rise and Fall of the Sweet Science. That was the title of the book, and uh, I, I should be getting royalties. I promote that book so much, but basically, <laughs> the bottom line on that book was that it. It basically was saying that, I mean, it wasn't like this captivating read. It was more like um, statistics. And, and that's what I loved about the book. Because basically what Mike Silva says in his book is that boxing was better years gone by than it is today. Except, you know, every generation says that. We say it all the time here. We're, uh, you know, people are always talking. In our case, because Sal fought uh, in the 80s, we always have a tendency to refer back to late 70s, early 80s. And, and you know, people look at that as the last great era of boxing, etc. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we do that because it's our comfort zone. But in Mike's book, uh, he took and used numbers, some facts. And some interesting facts were like uh, how many licensed boxers there were uh, in 1946 compared to 2006. And it was amazing to see the differences. But um, there was uh, uh, an article written uh, last week about how many total uh, boxing events there were last year in 2016. And the top 10 California had the most, 92. Texas had the second, 57. Pennsylvania had 41. Florida had 29. West Virginia had 28. New York had 27, uh, except uh, they had dropped from 49 because they incorporated that that crazy law about the insurance, remember? But Nevada, who everybody thinks is the mecca of boxing today, they had 23. They've dropped this year. North Carolina, 22. Oklahoma, 20, which surprised me. And Colorado, uh, really surprised me, 19. Anyway, 
the whole list, uh, you know, you go all the way down your state of Georgia. Uh, Where's had Jersey? Six. And my, what's about Jersey? What Atlantic City? New, Jer- have New Jersey. Up New there? Jersey had ten in uh, twenty sixteen. New Mexico had ten. There was a lot with ten. But here's my point: um, if you take and total all of the fights that took place across the United States in twenty sixteen, total them all up. From the most, which was California with 92, uh, and then aside from all the states that had none, like Alaska, Hawaii, Delaware, North and South Dakota, Vermont, and Wyoming, Idaho had one. Um, if you take in total all of the fights, they won't equal what the state of New York had in one year in 1946. Just the state of New York had more boxing shows in one year than all of the states combined in 2016. Now, to me, that shows you how much more popular boxing was. You know, and I'm saying I think I to this day, I believe the golden era of boxing was uh, the 1920s, you know, until 1950. You know, those 30 years, all the 2030s and 40s were the best time for boxing. We saw the most fights. We saw the best fighters. We saw the guys fighting the most times more frequently. And we saw success with the number of the shows and the number of the licensed fighters. It boggles my mind, Sal, to consider after 2016 and the beginning of 2017, which we all think have been decent years for boxing, didn't even have as many professional boxing shows as one state did combined throughout the United States. What's your thoughts? You know, like I said, it, it, it you look at the decades past and even the popularity or lack thereof of boxing through the decades. I mean, in the 70s and 80s, it, it was it seemed a lot easier to recall the fighters, the contenders, the champions. I thought I knew every one of them because the majority of them, a lot of them, I should say, were either domestic from the United States, maybe South America, Mexico, and Puerto Rico. Uh, you know, henceforth, 20, 30 years later, we have a world stage. There's champions uh, whose names we 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 are still learning, or or people are still being introduced to because they they don't see them on a daily basis like they did under a microscope and heard their names when boxing was on Saturdays and Sundays, Wide World of Sports or Sports World or this that and everything else on a on a weekend and and it was there for showcasing uh, domestic and and some international bouts. So it's a different stage today. And, and the interest level. And, and again, we also have to look at the fact that maybe there is other uh, sports or other things that these some young athletes in the United States have been gravitating to. Or maybe just given a little bit of apathy towards boxing. I don't know. I don't well, know. I'd like to crunch some numbers and really look at that. Well, you know, in this particular case, um, you know, uh, with boxing, the, the difference back in the heyday was that and I was just commenting on that in in, in Facebook on Facebook, but um, the uh, uh, the the difference was that you stro you strive to be the best, and then to prove you were the best, you seeked out the best. So in well, other words, you challenged yourself. And you know, I, I mean, we go back in history now. Obviously, 
we learn again. This was a bit along the same lines we were talking about earlier. We learn from the past uh, tragedies almost um, that, you know, fighters trying to challenge, like, for example, one of my all-time great fighters was Jack Johnson. And, um, you know, Stanley Ketchell is also one of my favorite fighters. And he was a middleweight. And, of course, Jack Johnson was a uh, world heavyweight champion. And uh, Stanley Ketchell challenged Jack Johnson. And, you know, he weighed uh, 170-something pounds for the fight and, uh, you know, actually uh, dropped Jack Johnson uh, and then, you know, got put to sleep and lost some teeth in the, in the, in the, in the uh, process. But, um, you know, today we wouldn't let that happen because of the weight disparity. Um, but this was an example of a guy in Stanley Ketchell who wanted to do something to cement a legacy, and that would have been for him to not only be a world middleweight champion, but to beat the world heavyweight champion, who at the time was regarded as unbeatable. And, and, and make no mistake, for all you young whippersnappers out there that you know can't get your hands on footage that's clear enough of Jack Johnson, and you know mm-hmm. they used to crank the, the video for him, so you're never going to get a true representation of uh, how good he was. But he literally, by today's standards was the Floyd Mayweather of his era. He did things like Floyd. He was defensive-minded. He did not want to get hit. He was able to keep his opponents off. He toyed with opponents at times. He broke opponents down and took them out in due time. It would take him 12 rounds to get warmed up before he really started going. You know, and, and, and there were times when people just like myself today with Floyd fights get frustrated watching it, booing, boring, this and that. Uh, but at the end of the day, he was they referred to him as the big cat sometimes because he toyed with his opponents the way a cat would toy with a mouse. And that's how good Jack Johnson was. And to have a guy like Stanley Ketchell say, well, hey, I want to beat this guy to show that I'm the best, that just goes to show you the mindset. Today, Sal, that's not the mindset. The mindset yeah. today, and I'm not saying that the fighters don't want this, but no. the mindset today exactly. is that the management and the promotional teams and the television networks are saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, we're not going to be able to sell this guy. We're not going to be able to sell this fight if this guy loses. So let's keep feeding him cupcakes. Let's build up this persona that he's invincible, and we'll all keep making money. And then the fighter says, well, hey, if I can make more money fighting less less than stellar opposition, more power to me, which you can't deny. And, and you know, that's what I believe happens to a lot of fighters, that uh, they're, you know, being represented as better than they are. And I think Deontay Wilder heads the group. I think Deontay Wilder is a f- fine example of a guy that's one-dimensional, although he did display boxing ability against Berman Stavern behind uh, uh, great training from Mark Breland, I think that Deontay Wilder really is a knockout guy. And I think that he believes that he's invincible. And, um, you know, he's finally going to fight a real fight in Luis Ortiz. And and I think that the jury will be out, you know. Even though Ortiz isn't the fastest and even though he's 38, I still think he's going to beat Deontay. I strongly believe that fighters need to step up their level of opposition on the way up, Sal. Oh, I agree with you 100%. That's how they get tested. That's how they get better. That's how they they, they, they don't get thrown 
in in a big fight all of a sudden and they fold because they've never had it. They've got to get tempered and tested like steel, and 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 that's that's usually it. Hey, you know, Billy, we were talking numbers and all that uh, just five minutes before, and I'd be curious because I think you know, like I said, uh, during my Rip Van Winkle days of of not following as much of boxing as I am today and as I did when I was fighting, you know. One of the great things that, that happened on the world stage is just what I said. I mean, we were very much following the domestic fighters, 70s and 80s, because a lot of them were champions. Or like I said, South America, uh, Puerto Rico. We were here. But guess what happened in the 80s that that that, that re- uh, unleashed the, the floodgates of fighters worldwide? When Ronnie Reagan said to Mr. Gorbachev, oh, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And a lot of these Soviet bloc countries that had these these professional amateurs fighting for them uh, that that could not be on a world stage, all of a sudden, boom, they came out of the floodgates. And uh, when the when the when the communistic countries opened their gates, and and that's what the world stage is now full of these guys that are have the freedom to fight and to be ones to come to America, to get the notoriety, to get everything else, and to be uh, be able to fight. So hypothetically, I would love to see a statistician take the numbers of where we were looking at uh, uh, earlier and then see what happens on a world stage with those numbers. I, I, I bet this. I bet that there's more today going on worldwide than there was just domestically here back then. I, I Listen, the UK has carried boxing on their back. They have. And, yes. and, and because of that, we are, we are becoming – Closer, you know, it's not so much to say, oh well, fights over there versus fights over here. It it has become more of a global sport, even though it always has been. I think that, you know, now, I mean, look at all the world champions uh, from England. You know, I think the best fighter, uh, as far as heavyweights go, uh, is from England, Anthony Joshua. So, um, you know, we'll see uh, see what happens. And speaking of fighters from England, Tyson Fury. You know, Tyson Fury. You know, you really got to wonder where his mind is at. Because, you know, he says that he wants to fight, um, you know, Anthony Joshua. He wants to fight this one. He wants to fight the, you yeah, know, yeah, all the main yeah. guys. Uh, does not want to get a tune-up fight. And uh, the other day he was uh, in, a, in an interview. And he says, and I quote, I've not been involved in the sport for nearly two years. So I don't think it's fair to try and dampen the lads as it's their big time to shine. This is him when he was asked about making a, you know making his comeback he says my time was two years ago if i come back there'll be an announcement but if i don't then i say goodbye he says i'm undefeated uh you know second heavyweight champion in history to retire unbeaten after rocky marciano i unified the division and i beat the man who can't beat who couldn't be beat do I need to do any more? And, of course, he's referring to Klitschko, who subsequently was beat by AJ. Um, you know, it gives me reason to think that he doesn't want to come back and he doesn't have to. Uh, but he also stumbled, whether he did it purposely or not, on a very important statement. And that is the only significant... And and, and Floyd Mayweather right now is, you know, parading behind the 49-0 and and he's soon to be 50-0 and after he beats Conor McGregor. Uh, in August, but the 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 value of a heavyweight retiring undefeated is where it was at because of the f- simple fact that any heavyweight, whether they're considered good or not, 
has the potential of putting his opponent to sleep, no matter how good they are. And this, the, the significance behind Rocky Marciano's 49-0 record uh, was just that. And the only guy to come close to it, the only guy that you got to give credit uh, to be one fight away from tying it was Larry Holmes. So, you know, the hoopla around Floyd right now is great. It's a great accomplishment for Floyd, but it it wasn't what the intent was for that record. And same goes true to protect Floyd. If people regard him as a pound-for-pound top fighter, you can't include a heavyweight in the pound-for-pound because uh, aside from being the best fighter on the planet, that's the heavyweight champion, and then pound for pound, there's all the other weight classes uh, because obviously they can't beat the, the heavyweight champion. That, that's the way I look at it, Sal. What about you? I believe you hit on it, and it's it's smart. And, and uh, yeah, I could see that. And uh, you, you know what I often wondered? You know, my, I, I think about some things. And I'm going to get a little off topic. But, you know, you have, you have a, the head on the shoulders, whether it's a, a lightweight or whether it's a heavyweight. Well, I'd like to hear a doctor's, uh, uh, I guess, opinion as far as that head that's on a lightweight shoulders, you know, taking the punishment from another lightweight or even somebody heavier sparring or whatever the heck. You know, when you said lights out, that's what made me think about it. on a heavyweight, that, sa- that same head is getting 230, 40 pounds of momentum. Bam. And that's why you said lights out. So, you know, you wonder. Uh, you know, that's why maybe some of the some of the fighters are suffering so much more. Maybe in the heavyweights, I don't know. But uh, I got sidetracked with that. Yeah, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Here, here's a, here's an interesting stat for you. The majority yes. of the fighters, at, you know, since we've been keeping records, the majority of the fighters that have suffered, um, you know, brain damage after their careers have not been heavyweights. And you know, Muhammad, Muhammad wow. Ali is one of those guys that sticks out because, you know, he was such a world-recognized figure. But the statistics show that the smaller weight guys um, sustain more head injuries than the larger weight guys. And some of the theories behind that uh, are the fact that the heavyweights don't have to worry about making weight. So therefore, generally, they're hydrated more. And the dehydration process aids of uh, uh to help you know helps uh, uh ruin you know put you in harm's way for 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 a brain damage type injury which is pretty interesting um yes. you know that that you know and and that goes back to what we've said about uh eliminating uh the uh day before weigh-ins uh if we had same day weigh-ins you would you would have fighters that are fighting at you know more close to their comfortable weight and therefore we would have true weight classes so um it's, uh, it's interesting there. And another thing that statistics had shown was that a fighter that's 175 pounds actually has the knockout power to knock out a guy 100 pounds heavier um, without, you know, losing anything in return in terms of, you know, themselves being knocked out. That there was that jump from 160 to 175. Those fighters that were 175 were actually... Uh, not in any additional danger by fighting a much b- bigger man, which I found interesting as well. So, you know, I mean, listen, we've become a world of uh, research and uh, research and, yeah. and st- 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 statistics. And, uh, 
You know, it, it, you made me think. Every time you talk, I, my, my mind goes uh, back into to think about other things. So you stimulate a lot of my thought process here. And I would think that someone would, being the statisticians out there, uh, you know, with aside from the wars that we've seen with Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, and, and some other notable heavyweights that have had those those fights that they fought like lightweights. But I would wonder if somebody had statistics of over a career or what's the likelihood, and you got to count a lot of punches, that a heavyweight fight, uh, maybe they're not landing as many or as many cumulative punches as that might occur in a lightweight fight or a middleweight fight. Uh, because a lot of heavyweights rely on that big one thump or whatever. I'm not saying everyone, but I'm just saying, like I said, with the exception of the Muhammad Ali, uh, Joe Frazier trilogy, those were wars and battles, and those were big exchanges. But I'm wondering if the punch count and the punches received and exchanged on a lighter level is cumulative more so than it would be on a heavyweight level. My man, and that's Mar why some of the damage on the lighter weights uh, has occurred. Yeah, well, uh, my man Marlon Starling uh, in the uh, Facebook, uh, whatever they call it, I guess just commenting, he believes that the weigh-in should be, like us uh, and most people that we talk to, he believes that the weigh-in should be the same day. And, and you too. know, uh, by the way, for all the affiliates, uh, television and radio, we are not taking a break here. So in case you're looking for a break, uh, we ain't taking one. Um you know, I, I believe that what's happened, and and you know, Roy Jones Jr. said it during the yeah, it's during the broadcast last week. He's like, well, that's part of the game, that's part of the business, you know. And <laughs> that's uh, right. and, and and the thing is, is no, it's not. I disagree with Roy, and the reason I have is, I forgot what he was saying. Well, no, they were talking about uh, Max Kellerman made up this exact point. He says they were talking about the Castellanos Jezreel Corrales fight, and they were saying, look how much bigger. Uh, Jezreel Corrales is, you know, and, and uh, you know, they said he dehydrated, he put on all this weight, and et cetera, et cetera. And Roy says, well, that's the, that's the way the business goes. And I disagree. I think that certain people, just everybody's different. Their body makeup is different, right? Some people uh, can run faster than others. You know, some people uh, uh, are more susceptible to pain than others. I mean, just little things that, that make us different. Uh, and one of the things is the ability to dehydrate. Some fighters can dehydrate and and regain 10 even 20 pounds overnight of of fluids and and you know eating or whatever and others can't. You know, a great example of it is Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez can make 154 in fight night he's 175. Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. when he could make weight, he was able to to balloon up too. Other fighters can't, you know, uh, and, and I think that if we want true representation of weight classes, if we really want it, I mean, geez, we got 150 weight classes. You know, if we really want a true representation of a weight class, then we should have same-day weigh-ins, just like you said. You know, it's a funny story. I don't know if you guys know this. I'm sure me and Sal have talked about this before, but when Sal made his uh, 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 comeback, his uh, Guinness Book of World Record uh, a comeback uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, up until what? It, it couldn't. I, I think it was. It wasn't even two weeks before the fight. Sal still thought that the weigh-ins were the same day. We had to say, "Oh no, Sal, the, the weigh-ins are the day before." <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I mean, so so you know, the the funny thing is, is that I I believe 
that the safety of the fighter uh, is it's more safe for the fighter to have the same day weigh in. Now, there were some uh, political reasons why. Not only did they blame dehydration as a reason, they actually used the same thing I'm telling you is safer for the fighter as a reason why they didn't want, uh, you know, same day weigh ins, because which makes no sense. A fighter's not going to dehydrate uh, just to get on a scale and then try to rehydrate really quickly. Um, if they can't make weight, they can't make weight. But one of the other reasons was television. If something happens where a guy doesn't make weight and they can't come to an agreement and the fight gets canceled, well, if it was a televised event, the TV networks lost their ass, you know? So I think they made accommodations for that. I think it's time to focus on the safety and uh, bring same-day weigh-ins back, and then a welterweight will be a welterweight. A middleweight will be a middleweight. I mean, that's the way it should be, Sal. I, I agree, Bill. I mean, you know, I, I used to tear my my, uh, my weight off to make a 135-pound lightweight limit. And, you know, in between fights, I'd, I'd, I'd go up to 47, 50, uh, uh, you know, but I looked at the, how Roberto Duran did it from 165 to 35. And you know what? But I did it gradually, and, and I maintained the weight, my show weight. I I. I mean, I splurged after a fight. It was my incentive reward. I love ice cream. I love this and that. And so that was a false weight that uh, I was just bloomed up for. But when I went to camp and everything else, the weight would come off. And when I'd step on the scale, you know, maybe I'd dry out the night before. I wouldn't drink any fluids maybe from 6 o'clock the previous night. And we'd have weigh-ins uh, uh, that next morning. And uh, I, I'd be able to drop the last few pounds and no problem. And I'd have my bottle of Gatorade and banana and, and other things. And but I never ate like a, as we say, a gavone or a caffone, as you say in proper Italian. Uh, I just adequately uh, rehydrated myself. Uh, I had a little bowl of pasta at maybe 3.30. I, uh, I had some uh, fruit and maybe a whole wheat toast, a baked potato throughout the whole course of the day. That's, you know, and I, I wouldn't eat after like 3 or 4 o'clock. Same thing I did with this last fight coming back a couple of years ago. And, uh you know, so I wasn't looking to pack on pounds and rehydrate and do this, what I could do in 24 hours. I mean, someone's going to have to look at a rule of that. that. That's also putting a stress and strain on your body when you're 20 pounds heavier in 24 hours and you're putting yourself in, in the ring. I, I don't know, Bill. You know, I, I'm an old school, same day weigh-ins. That's what they should do. You know, it's funny because we don't even know. We're, we've become a world of statistics and research. We don't even know what the repercussions of having day before weigh-ins are yet, especially on the fighters in the lower weight classes, because they've only been doing it for 20 years. The data should start to come in now. What's the long-term ramifications and effects on a fighter who fights an entire career, let's say an active fighter fighting three or four times a year, which is uh, kind of rare these days, but uh, a, a fighter in a lower weight class who tortures himself uh, during training, so even if he's fighting three times a year, how many months for three fights is he in in the gym training? You know, probably at least half a year total. Uh, you would think, and uh, you know, what's the what's the long term effects on a fighter that's that's uh, putting his body uh, through those uh, drastic changes? I mean, you know, that has to put your body in shock for for some length of time and. What's the long-term effects on that? I think that some of those results uh, should probably be looked at. You know, I mean, uh, some of these uh, bigger sanctioning bodies like the WBC who likes to 
you know, do this type of research, maybe focus on that. You know, maybe the same day weigh-ins uh, is safer, uh, which we believe, but maybe there's some data that can back that up instead of just opinion, you know? So, I mean, we don't know that. It's a good point, Bill. Very good point. I try. I'm on Thank your you. side. I Thank want the same day weigh-ins. I think that's that I want, was, I that want was a smart way to go. Me personally, I like to eat as much pizza as I can, and I don't worry about I don't worry about my damn weight. You know, I'm, <laughs> I a fat, told you. I'm I, an old, fat, I balding guy. I don't care. You know, I know I, the women. Hey, listen, the women love me being a fat, balding old guy. They love it. They love it. Funny. You know, you know. You I mean, know what? On. What are the times I told you this story, and uh, I, <laughs> you know. I hope Bobby doesn't mind my sharing this because, uh, you know, it was an old, it was an old, uh, old thing here. We were training. We were in, I think it was Lou Duva's gym on Squirrelwood Road in West Patterson. Bobby Ches and I were training, and we were fighting in Ice World the next uh, uh, next show, and uh, we were training together for this fight, and uh, we we're up in that gym, and uh, it was the day before the fight. Bobby's a little heavy. I'm a little heavy, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and after we left the gym, uh, Bobby said, hey, let's go to my buddy John's Pizzeria. Let's get some pizza. I said, Bobby, I'm, I'm, I'm five pounds overweight. What are you, what are you talking about? I got to go home and, and put on my rubber suit or something. And um, <laughs> and so what do you think? We wound up at John's Pizzeria, whatever it was there. And uh, Bobby and I are eating pizza and having a Coke or whatever the heck. And <laughs> – and I go, Bob, I, I, I really – I shouldn't have this pizza. I shouldn't have this pizza. He says, Sal, don't worry about it. Here, take two of these tonight, and uh, you'll, you'll pee out your weight. You'll, you'll urinate it right out. I said, what, what is this? I think it was Lasix, 40 milligrams each, two tablets. I told my, my lifelong physician, oh, I was up all night. Forget about it. I lost the weight. And, and I walked into the fight in Ice World. Who was it? It was against uh, – from Philly, Wicked Joe Pickett, I think – now you look at my definition of my body. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm shriveled out. I'm, I, I lost every ounce of water weight in my body. I took 80 milligrams of that Lasix to do it, and my uh, physician, my lifelong childhood physician, uh, Dr. Frank Ferraro. When I told him, he was also a ringside doctor. He said, "Sir, you are lucky you didn't go in cardiac arrest." I, I said, "Well, I made the weight and." I, I won, and we had the same day weigh-ins, but I had my bottle of Gatorade, my bananas, and I rehydrated myself, but I was cramping up in the fight and everything else, and I was like, well, that's the last time I'm doing that. Hey, it sounds like uh, you were taking performance-enhancing drugs, Sal. Well, it was LASIK. <laughs> I, guess, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I got to check VADA and see if that's on their uh, banned <laughs> list, but uh, anyway. But uh, oh, man. that's funny. That's funny. Hey, at least you got at least you threw those slices down, you know. So, oh, uh, I threw the slices down, the Coca Cola down, and that's a and man, I'll tell you. But the worst thing is, I was up literally all night. I couldn't stop urinating, and 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 it was crazy. And then I I, I get on a scale, and yeah, I was one hundred and thirty pounds, one hundred thirty five pounds. I forgot, but. But man, I'll tell you, it was a it was a tough a tough fight, and uh, it went the distance. I won the fight, thank God. And uh, and uh, but that's the last time I subscribed to that method of uh, losing uh, weight. One hundred and thirty pounds. I ate one hundred and thirty pounds worth of white pizza with pepperoni and garlic last <laughs> night. You know, I mean, uh, so uh, anyway. next time, next time you're in a pizzeria, 
Next time you come in, you'll see, you know the fight I'm talking about, Wicked Joe Pickett. Uh, you look at the definition on my body and how, uh, how, how, I mean, you could see my muscles coming through my skin. I had no more fluid in me. I was, I looked like a frog. I mean, it was like my legs and everything else. It was no, unbelievable. Yes, yesterday you looked like the frog <laughs> with the green outfit on. Hey, you I, know, I, don't, I, I just, like, I just, rem <laughs> I just remembered something. I don't think I've ever tried a white pizza at your place. You got Billy it's the best. Let me tell you something. The white pizza, I I, I invented. I came up with it, this whole damn, this pizza is the greatest. One of the white pizzas I do, I'm going to build for you. You're going to love it. I call it the Marshall, the Fletchy Pie. And as you know, we uh, we had the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center right by us. And they're a great group of men and women. They're our front line, first line defense. You have all the government branches training here. And they are great supporters of my restaurant. I love them. And they come in every day and night. And uh, so when we first opened up back in 2009, January 5th, it was a Monday, uh, we, we had some good success. And then uh, that summer, after the schools go back here, August 1st or so, uh, this was August, and uh, I had a phone call. I was just closing up. Uh, uh, Rini left, uh, and I was there by myself and uh, cleaning up. It's about 12 o'clock at night. I'm walking out the door. The phone rings. I answer the phone. And... Uh, Guy says on the other phone, he said, hey, uh, we're a bunch of federal marshals. We just pulled into town. We hear you got the best pizza. We haven't eaten all day. Can you do us a favor and, and serve us? I said, well, guys, my ovens are down. It's 12 o'clock at night. I'm just leaving. But I'll tell you what. You got about a 25-minute ride here. I'm going to turn the ovens back up for you guys. And you come over here, and we'll, uh, we'll have a beer, and we'll make some pizzas for you. So, And that's exactly what I did. And I use my white sauce for the first time. It's like a buttery olive oil-based garlic chop sauce that's phenomenal. And we built the pie up there, put the mozzarella, I put dollops of ricotta cheese. I did the onions. I did the, um, the uh, mushrooms. I put some, some, um, some uh, margarita seasoning and drizzled with olive oil. We baked that pie. It was phenomenal. We made three more. And I told the guys, guys, if I ever put it on my menu, it's going to be known as the Fletzy or Slash Marshall Pizza. And it's one of our biggest sellers, Billy. I'm going to make that pizza for you personally. I'm you coming now. I'm ending the show right now. I'm hopping in the car. <laughs> Up in the car. Uh, you think I'm kidding? It's hey. phenomenal. No, this pizza is the. I, I'm telling you, you will. You've never had this taste, and I, I promise you, when you taste this pizza, it is phenomenal. As long as, as long as I don't have a strong desire for donuts and coffee after I eat it, like the rest of the cops, then uh, you know. But uh, anyway, I am gonna hop in the car, and I'm coming down to South to get some pizza right now. So uh, make sure you guys tune in tomorrow morning, same bat time. Same bat channel. Until then, ciao, baby.